Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. So, in the Elizabethan era, there's luminous figures of Elizabeth I, Walter Raleigh, William Shakespeare, and they naturally dominate. Yet, as with any historical epoch, the richness of the period is not solely in its most famous characters, but also in the lives that wove the sort of socio-political fabric of the time. And one such life, often overshadowed by grander narratives, yet deeply interwoven into the very core of Elizabethan politics, culture, and society, was Alice Spencer, Countess of Derby. Before we get started, though, your reminder about TudorCon! So, it's too late to get tickets in person. So sorry, you have missed that boat. But you can join us online through the magic of the interwebs. The TudorCon streaming ticket is everything that TudorCon is from the comfort of your own home. Three days of the talks all streamed, plus the recordings and transcripts. You're going to get a digital goodie bag with like ebooks and art and all kinds of cool stuff. You're going to get a Tudor cook-along video with Brigitte Webster, who has a new book out called Eating with the Tudors. Uh, you're going to get a special exclusive viewing of the King's Legacy musical by Michael Raddy. And I'm very excited about that. So he's making it available for us to watch online just for the streaming ticket, folks. So there's a lot there, right? So go to englandcast.com slash online to grab your ticket. And I also will say space is limited. I know it's like the internet and it could be unlimited because it's just space in a Zoom room. However, there's also going to be, you know, people who have questions and we need to be able to manage the amount of people that are in the room and make sure everybody is having a good time. So I have a limit to how much space there is. So grab your tickets, englandcast.com slash online before the space runs out. All right. So let's talk about Alice Spencer. Born into the influential Spencer family, Alice's journey is emblematic of the dynamic and often treacherous waters of the Elizabethan court. Her life was not just that of privilege and opulence, but also strategy, acumen, and resilience. As we delve into her story, we'll discover a woman who navigated the nuances of a time when the course of English history was being vehemently recharted. Alice was no mere bystander to the unfolding dramas of her age. She was an active participant, a woman of keen intellect, 
sharp instincts. Her patronage of the arts hinted at a refined taste, while her deft management of her daughter's marriages and her own fights for her jointure and her legal rights showcased her astuteness in a world where marital alliances were less about love and more about power, prestige, and political maneuvering. She reminds me a lot of somebody like Bess of Hardwick, who kind of really knew her rights and really fought for her rights and was able to turn coming from not necessarily nobility into becoming a very formidable person. So I really like her for that reason. The Spencer family, where she came from, was emblematic of a transformative economic shift that was sweeping through England during the late medieval and early Tudor periods. And this was propelled by the phenomenon of land enclosures. So historically, English agricultural land was organized around the open field system with vast tracts of land divided into strips cultivated by individual peasants. However, as the demand for wool in Europe surged, driven by the textile industries in Flanders and Italy, sheep farming in England became increasingly lucrative. Wool's white gold allure promised wealth, and for those astute enough to capitalize on the boom, the rewards were substantial. The Spencers were one such family that astutely navigated this landscape. Recognizing the profitability of sheep farming, they began to enclose their lands, consolidating the once openly cultivated fields into larger enclosed pastures dedicated to sheep rearing. This strategy was economically sound, but it was not without its controversies. Enclosures led to the displacement of peasants who had traditionally cultivated the land. Also, for peasants' animals, there was no grazing. That was all open area where anybody could graze their animals. So now the peasants didn't have places to graze any animals that they might have. So there was social unrest and dislocation. This was also a big part of Ket's Rebellion that was happening in the reign of Edward VI, which I've talked about a fair amount here and on my YouTube channel and stuff. Um, so land enclosures were a really big deal. The Spencers invested heavily in sheep farming and were a family that benefited from land enclosures. And this catapulted them from the ranks of minor gentry into one of England's wealthiest and most influential families. Their wealth wasn't tied up just to land and sheep. The proceeds from wool were reinvested into buying more lands, securing advantageous marriages, and even lending money to the cash-strapped monarchs. By the time Alice was born, the Spencers were not mere sheep farmers, but influential landowners with a vast network of estates and a web of connections that reached into the highest echelons of English society. This privileged background provided Alice with the tools and education typical of her station, preparing her for the significant role she would later play in the Elizabethan court and politics. In Alice's early years, she would have witnessed firsthand the workings of the economic machinery that powered her family's rise. The lush pastures filled with herds of sheep, the buzz of the markets where wool was traded, and the coin-filled chest that bore testament to the Spencer's commercial acumen. Yet, as with all stories of great wealth and power, there were underlying currents of tension, notably, like I said, the socioeconomic conflicts that would have been an ever-present backdrop to her youth. Now, the Spencer family owned Althorpe, and those who follow English history today will remember that there's another Spencer family that lives at Althorpe, and yes, they are related. So Alice is, you know, however many great uh, grandmothers, um, it's the same line of Diana Spencer, Princess Diana. So 
this was kind of the first Spencer woman who started to really make it big in the English nobility. So Princess Diana's story goes all the way back to the Tudor period and before as sheep farmers, but really starting to get into the higher levels of nobility during this period. So then Alice Spencer marries into the Stanleys. The Stanleys, of course, we've heard about one of the most fascinating families of the Elizabethan and medieval period as well. This is the Lord Stanley that Margaret Beaufort married, um, that was the stepfather to Henry VII. They came from the northwest of England. They rose to prominence during the Wars of the Roses. Through a combination of strategic alliances and marital connections, they positioned themselves as power brokers, eventually playing pivotal roles in the outcome of the Battle of Bosworth and literally, supposedly crowning Henry Tudor king. So Alice married into this family. She married Ferdinando Stanley. He was the fifth Earl of Derby. Beyond this title, he also bore another one, the Lord of Man. So this granted him dominion over the Isle of Man, which was a self-governing crown dependency located between England and Ireland. Parliament had officially ruled that the Isle of Man was not part of England. So the Lord of Man was actually kind of king of this island by themselves. So when Alice married into this family and became the lady of man, it was like becoming a queen, really, of this small island. But of course, it was not just their titles and land holdings that made the Stanleys so intriguing. It was also their potential claim to the English throne. So Ferdinando Stanley had that Stanley blood, which goes back to a tangential relationship with the Plantagenets, but also On his mother's side, Lady Margaret Clifford, he comes from the Brandon family, which, of course, is the sister of Henry VIII. Mary Brandon was the daughter of Henry VII. So they have a claim to the English throne. And for a while, because Elizabeth had not named a successor, there was a lot of thought that they were heir presumptives at that time. Ferdinando, in particular, was a figure shrouded in rumors and mysteries His potential claim to the throne made him both an asset and a target. There were various Catholic plots, like the Babington plot and others, that would often whisper his name as a potential Catholic monarch should Elizabeth be overthrown. And these whispers were not without basis. There were persistent rumors that Ferdinando, and by extension the Stanley family, had Catholic sympathies. Ferdinando seemed to really want to stay the line and stay just kind of away from any drama, but people in his family would be more open about their Catholic leanings and their faith. And of course, rumors were dangerous. And there had actually been a case where someone had approached Ferdinando and tried to talk to him about potentially being involved in a plot. He reported it right away and actually gave testimony against the people that had talked to him. But then Ferdinando suffered a mysterious and untimely death in 1594 which fueled a lot of speculation. Some believed he was poisoned by Jesuits for refusing to support the Catholic insurrection and giving evidence against people earlier. Others believe he was poisoned by agents of Elizabeth I due to his potential involvement in Catholic plots. The truth is, of course, elusive, but what is clear is that he was very young, he had young children, and this marked a very tragic and dramatic end to a life that was in many ways, the personification of the complexities and intrigues of Elizabethan politics. Alice is there still, 
she had to navigate all of this and she was the wife of Ferdinando. She would have been privy to and perhaps even a part of some of these secretive and the perilous world of the court politics. Her role as Lady Darby, coupled with the legacy of the Spencer family, placed her at the heart of some of the most defining events and conspiracies of the era. So as she ascended to the title of Countess of Darby following her marriage to Ferdinando and, and his father's death, she found herself thrust into the whirlwind of Elizabethan nobility and the attendant responsibilities. The position came with vast estates to manage, political intrigues to navigate, and upholding the reputation and influence of the Stanley family. Elizabeth ruled the realm from London, but people had called the Stanley's household Latham Hall the Great Northern Court. Latham had been their ancestral home, and the family routinely moved between there and the Knowlesley and New Park. And as the mistress of such an impressive estate, Alice would have overseen not just the domestic workings of the household, but also the vast lands, tenants, and socioeconomic intricacies that came with them. Alice would have been involved in making decisions on land leases, tenant disputes, agricultural ventures, and even local legal matters that the nobility often would have adjudicated. In her personal life, Alice bore Ferdinando three daughters, Anne, Francis, and Elizabeth. And these daughters would each play significant roles in the English nobility later. And Alice, as their mother and matriarch, would have been instrumental in guiding their upbringing, education, and their eventual marriages. It's also worth noting the cultural contributions that Alice made. Latham Hall and the other Stanley houses became centers of arts and cultures. They hosted plays, musicians, poets. The Countess herself was known to be a patron of the arts. There are many uh, dedications from various books that were written around this time to Alice and her three daughters. They really fostered a cultural environment that would influence the Elizabethan and even the Jacobean periods. So, of course, her life as Countess was marred by the mysterious death of her husband, Ferdinando. This left her in a very precarious position, both financially, both politically and personally. So the title went to Ferdinando's brother. However, when Ferdinando died, Alice was pregnant, so they had to first wait to see whether that would be a boy or a girl. Then Alice had the heartbreak of a miscarriage. There was hope before that that maybe there would be, it would be a boy and he would inherit and everything would be okay. But there was a miscarriage, so the title went to Ferdinando's brother. Now, before he died, Ferdinando had changed his will and added more land to Alice's jointure, which was the piece of land that wives would receive to sustain them like a dower portion. It was different than that, but it was a piece of land that was all theirs or it was money, plate, anything that was set aside just for them. And Ferdinando had put more into her jointure. Now, when his brother inherited, they were going to have an argument about that because his brother didn't like the fact that he inherited the title, but really didn't get that much land because a lot of it had been given to Alice. And also a lot had been set aside for dowries for the daughters as well. So Ferdinando's brother was really upset about this and disputed the will. So it turned into a big legal argument. Alice was busy writing letters that time to any person she could think of who might side with her at court. Um, the heart of the argument really lay in interpreting Ferdinando's will. But of course, Alice was a woman and there was a new Earl of Derby. So, you know, whose side are they going to take? 
But Alice did wind up winning a lot of her legal battles. That was in no small part thanks to her lawyer, Sir Thomas Edgerton, who was a prominent figure at court. He was the Lord Keeper of the Great Seal. And then Alice wound up marrying him as her second marriage. This union was a merger of two very influential families. And then they also intertwined their destinies even further when Alice's daughter was engaged, was betrothed to Thomas's son. So the two stepchildren were betrothed. And this was kind of unusual at the time, but not massively. It gave Thomas a reason to continue fighting Alice's cause because he knew that anything that she would inherit would go into one of her daughter's dowries, which would then stay in the family. So it was calculated, but they also just kind of wanted to merge all of the wealth that they had together into one family. In 1602, Alice and Sir Thomas received the unique honor of hosting Elizabeth I on a royal progress. This was a testament to Alice's position in society and the favor that she and her husband held with the monarchy. Preparations for such an esteemed guest would have been elaborate. The estate would have been a beehive of activity with new tapestries hung. There was actually, I think I mentioned it before in an earlier episode, whenever the monarch would visit All of the different nobles from the area would kind of all pitch in and lend things to each other because no one house had enough to sustain a monarch visiting. Say there would have been carts coming and going, bringing plate and tapestries and everything. Entertainments would have been arranged, dances, masks, even theater performances. One thing I didn't mention about Fernando was that he was also, before he became... The Earl of Derby, he was Lord Strang, also Lord Strange, I've heard it pronounced, Strang, Strang, potato, potato, which people who follow theater will remember Lord Strange's men, Lord Strang's men, was a theater troupe, one of those, like the Earl of Leicester's men. So they had sponsored this theater troupe that then became the Earl of Derby's men. And so so Alice was very much involved with hosting theater productions, supporting theater productions, being a patron of the arts. So they probably would have had special masks, special theater productions during this visit as well. Alice's ability to manage such a grand event emphasized her significant role in the socio-political landscape at the time, and it would have reinforced her family's established position within the courtly hierarchy. Then Alice had to face the critical responsibility of ensuring advantageous marriages for her daughters. The eldest of Alice's daughters, Anne, carried the weight of the primary share of the Stanley legacy. She was the primary heir. She was also for a while heir presumptive for Elizabeth. And so her marriage was of the utmost importance. She married Grey Bridges, the fifth Baron Chandos of Sudley, And that was a significant match. They were an influential family closely associated with the heart of Elizabethan court. Then he died and she married Mervyn Tuchet, the second Earl of Castlehaven. And this was a terrible marriage. I'm not going to go into a lot of the details because it's quite disturbing. Let's just say that Tuchet was a sadist and he abused Anne. Um, It actually became a scandal when it came out. Anne didn't tell anybody what was going on, but his son, actually, her stepson, 
made the case public because he was worried that he was going to be cheated out of his inheritance because of some of the things his father was doing. And it turned into a whole court case where people had to testify as to what was going on in this household. Alice probably did not know what was happening with her daughter, that her daughter was trapped in this situation for the years that she was in. As it came out, though, you can tell Alice was thinking not just about her daughter and wanting to support her daughter, but also about the legacy of their family because she had the big picture to think about as well, which was making sure they all managed to keep their reputations intact. So Alice wrote again to all of her noble friends, uh, tried to explain her side of things, actually asked for royal pardons, even though Anne hadn't done anything wrong. Just the idea that they would receive a royal pardon to show that the king, by this point, the King James, was okay with them, that they were still all right, they still had their reputations intact. Um, and, And so that became actually a really big part of the later years in her life was taking care of the fallout from the scandal around Anne's second marriage. And like I said, I don't want to go into the details. He was very abusive and and um, treated her very, very badly and treated the people around him very, very badly. Uh, and that came back to haunt him because he wound up being executed for the whole thing. And Anne then moved to the countryside and spent the rest of her life trying to stay as far away from people as possible. Then Frances married her stepbrother. She was the second daughter. This was, of course, a strategic alliance fortifying their relationships. The marriage itself was relatively successful, and the pair produced a healthy line of descendants, so that worked out for her. And then the youngest, Elizabeth, married Henry Hastings, the fifth Earl of Huntington. Alice Spencer's engagement with the marital affairs of her daughters and the way she was looking out for the family in the wake of the scandal of her daughter's second marriage really emphasized her active role in the high politics of this period. Her life's narrative underscores the profound influence wielded by women of the nobility during this period. She wasn't merely a consort of an influential man, but she was actually a force to be reckoned with in her own right. So I'm going to leave it here for right now. I really enjoyed reading about her. If you want to dig deep into her life as well, There's a book called A Woman of Influence, The Spectacular Rise of Alice Spencer in Tudor England by Vanessa Wilkie, and I highly recommend that book. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. So for now, we are going to stop it here. Hop on into the Tudor Learning Circle, tutorlearningcircle.com, to discuss this and all other things Tudor. It is a space on the internet just for Tudor nerds, away from the noise of social media where Tudor nerds can just get together and share their love of Tudor history. So TudorLearningCircle.com. Also remember to check out the TudorCon streaming tickets at EnglandCast.com slash TudorCon online. Thank you for your listenership, and I will talk with you again next week. Bye. Blow, northern wind, ascend, who may be sweating. Blow, northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hoch aboard in Bauerbrick, that soul is Sam Lee's on seat. Men's full maiden of me, fair and freight of wonder. In all this world, fleet of wonder, board of blood and of bond. Never yet in us the known, not so many long. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 